Amen. It is so great to worship with the body of Christ. And uh, you don't realize how much you enjoy it till it's taken from you for a little while, and then you get to experience it again. So it's great uh, to be here. And welcome to all of you at our chapel and all of you joining us on, online. And to our Cactus family, I was up there with Rick last week. It's so fun to see uh, your new family life building going up and to see the bricks getting in place. And I hope you guys are as excited about the building, but more excited about the ministry that's going to take place in there because Rick's got some big visions. God's got even bigger dreams for you guys. And we're excited to see what God's going to do over at Cactus. And to my Northridge family, thank you for uh, letting me come down south for, for the weekend. I know Spence has taken a good Good care of you guys up there, and uh, it's just fun to be back down here. For those of you guys that don't know me, uh, my name's Kevin Yule. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I happen to be pastor of an incredible community of people up north, part of our Northridge family. And if you've never been up there to visit us, come on up. It is a, a great group of people uh, that just love Jesus and love each other. And so it's fun to be a part of that. Uh, but the reality is, before I uh, was semi-retired up, 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 up north, I was a student ministries pastor here for a long time. And uh, you want to talk about full-time work, student ministries was running and gunning, and we were busy all the time. And God, during that period of time when I was here, gave us an incredible blessing. He let us walk into uh, six different public high schools every week uh, during their lunch hour. And we would walk in, and we would talk about the things of the Lord and the Bible uh, with a bunch of kids that had no idea what church was or anything like that. They were just showing up for a, a free lunch and a place to hang, and we would walk in there. And they never teach in seminary how to carry 18 Sam's Club pizzas through a quad at Saguaro High School, but we did it. We learned how to make it happen, and we walk into these groups, and it was great. Kids would be all over the place. They'd be on the floor. They'd be sitting on desks and chairs. I mean, it was just a mass of kids every lunch hour. And every group was pretty much the same. You had a lot of kids from our youth ministry here that were always excited to see you, and you had some kids from other youth groups that were just excited something about Jesus was getting talked about at school, and you had a few kids that were there searching, wanting to know more, like, what is this whole Jesus thing all about? But every, every school, it didn't matter which school I was at, had a collection, and they, for whatever reason, they were always men. Uh, a group of young men, usually five to nine of them, that would always sit in the furthest back part of the room, and they were not there to hear about the things of the Lord. They were there for free pizza and to cause a ruckus. Uh, and they were great at both. And so we would show up and I would identify this group within a week or two of going. And it was always, it was my favorite group. They were the ones that any, any chance we got, if there was time on the front end to eat, I would always go sit with these guys and just ask them, hey, what'd you guys do this weekend? And I'd sometimes be at shock of what took place over the weekend or just to hear some of their stories and uh, but just to be around them and to see and to be, to be a part of that world just for a little bit was so at least encouraging for me, but they were always my barometer. I knew if I could get these group of guys ever to interact with anything that we did, that it was working, something was happening, that us showing up repeatedly over and over and over again and just loving them right where they were was shaping and shifting maybe their view of church and the things of the Lord. And so on one particular week at a school up the street here, I was there during lunch and I threw out the same question, I threw a question out every week, and the question this week was this, why do you or don't you believe in Jesus Christ? Why do you or don't you believe in Jesus Christ? And all of a sudden, my man from this group in the back corner, he stands up, and you could just see his friends are like, what are you doing? This is when we don't pay attention. Don't screw this up for us. And he stands up with all the bravado and arrogance of a 16-year-old man, sticks his finger out, and in language far too colorful for a holy place like this, he looks at me and goes, I'll tell you what, you want me to believe in your God? 
Here's what it would take. Why doesn't God peel open the sky, shove his face through and say, hey, everybody pay attention. I'm real. Your God does that, then I'll believe. I'm sitting here in front of all these kids and a part of me's going, yes, he's interacting, we got him. And the other part of me is like, man, it's a great question. Uh, it's something that I would long for. I've talked to some of my friends up at Northridge multiple times. If a worldwide pandemic isn't gonna wake people up to their need for Jesus Christ and God, what's it gonna take? Even in the midst of all of this, we look to our government and our finances and the health industry, everything for our answers. I don't see many people going, man, maybe God's trying to get our attention. So what's it gonna take? Would it take him peeling open the sky, sticking his face in? We're gonna look at a guy today as, as talked about earlier here, maybe the other campus, this guy doubting Thomas. And, and the reality is, is Thomas doubted one time and we'll talk about that. But if you're here and you doubt, let me encourage you. Doubt is, is not something that in the church you should fear. It's something that you should embrace, but you gotta lean into your doubt. You gotta say, look, this, here's, where I, here's where I do have questions. Here's where I do doubt. And if you can lean into it and you can, you can seek the answers to your doubt. Man, I think on the other side of that is an unwavering faith and conviction that cannot be shaken. Just don't be lazy and say, I just doubt. Why do you doubt? I just do. Well, that's laziness. Let's own it. Let's own our doubt, but then let's lean into it. Let's find some answers. Let's figure it out together because I do think there's no greater question, no more important question that anybody could answer, and that is why do you or don't you believe in Jesus? We gotta have an answer. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is a great truth. And theologically, we could argue it and I could make that statement absolutely true. But if that's where your faith rests and that's all where it rests and you've never leaned into any of the things that maybe the world throws at you or even your own mind throws at you at times, when you get that bad diagnosis or your finances run out or your kids go wayward, where the faith that you have, how strong it is, is tested in those moments. And so my encouragement to you today is let's lean into some of that stuff. Let's, let's be able to answer that question. If you're a child of God here and if someone were to say to you, yeah, why do you believe in Jesus? How would you respond? Or if you're here and you're skeptic and you, you don't even know why you're in church today or you're watching online going, what am I even doing here? Then wrestle with that question. Why don't you? Why don't you believe in Jesus? I wanna unpack both of those as we look at my man Thomas today. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our time in the word. God, I thank you so much uh, for this incredible gift in your word. God, as always, I pray that we would handle it correctly. I pray that your spirit would speak through it, that it would never, ever return void in our life. God, certainly this morning, but even throughout this week, as we all spend time in the pages of scripture, God, let it speak to our heart. And God, I pray today for all of us that we would really wrestle with what we believe in is just as important why we believe it. God, why do we stand on the things we stand upon? Uh, and meet us right where we're at. God, give us courage to be honest with you be honest with ourselves, and God, that you would lean in and meet us in that place. Um, and so, God, I will, as we often do, I will thank you in advance for what you're going to do in this time and the conversations to come. So we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, we are, are continuing our study in the book of John, chapter 20. And Jamie kicked it off last week where he talked about Jesus appears to the disciples. And he appears to, to 10 of them, right? Judas is gone. He, he sold Jesus out and he's, he's done his thing. But Thomas was not there when Jesus appears to the original 10. And so now all of a sudden we pick up our scene with Thomas in the boat. So here we go. Here it says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. Again, what Jamie looked at last week. 
So the other disciples, they told him, hey, look, we've seen Jesus. We've seen the Lord. Thomas replied and said, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, catch this statement, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them, and he said, hey, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Here it is for us, guys. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a scene, a story, a familiar story. A lot of you guys have heard. In fact, even as I was talking to some people this week, they said, oh, you got Doubting Thomas. What are you going to do with old Doubting Thomas? Poor guy had one time in his life where he asked a question that all of us would ask, right? If I showed up and said, hey, you know that funeral we were at a couple days ago? I just saw that guy at Einstein's this morning. <laughs> what? No way. Oh, doubter? Man, I'd hate it if my whole life was on display, you know? Angry Kevin, anxious Kevin. No, this guy had one moment of, of humanity and he's forever labeled. Let me, let me give you maybe a different picture. You guys go back. I had the chance of, of having the incredible honor of uh, celebrating the life of an incredible man that had passed away this last week. Uh, and in, in studying for that time, we went to John 11. John 11 is where Jesus interacts with the loss of his friend Lazarus, who's passed away. And all the disciples are hanging out and Jesus says, hey, our friend Lazarus is dead. We're gonna go see him. The disciples go, you know, Lazarus is in Jerusalem, and you know who's there? It's all the Jews, and all they want to do is kill you. In fact, we just ran from there because they were chasing us with stones, and you want to go back there? You're going to die. It's a death sentence. Don't do it. Jesus says, I'm going to go see my friend. All the disciples are trying to talk him out of it. You know who the only disciple is to speak up? It's not big mouth Peter. It's not the disciple Jesus loved. Look what it says here in John eleven sixteen. 16. This is our man Thomas. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. We may die with him. As much credit as Thomas gets for being a doubter, man, Thomas had unwavering conviction and faith in Jesus Christ. And could it be that in this moment of what we label as doubt, Thomas is just looking at these guys going, if it's true, if what you're telling me is true, I wanna see it because when I see it, there will be nothing to stop me from giving everything I have for this man. Blind faith is almost as dangerous as doubting faith. But if you can lean into your doubts and you can get solid answers, unwavering conviction rests on the other side. And that's what we see in Thomas. Let's go back and look at our story. It starts off here, and Jamie alluded to it last week. He goes, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin. He wasn't with them when Jesus came. We don't know why. I'll stand over here so I don't take this as, as biblical truth. We don't know why he wasn't there. Uh, one commentator I thought was very interesting alluded to the fact that, you know, maybe Thomas was so stricken with grief after watching his friend die uh, that he just needed to go be by himself, process his thoughts, kind of get away. I don't know how you guys operate in the midst of heavy things, but I tend to be that way. I tend to isolate. It's not always good for my soul. But when life gets hard, I tend to sneak away and just try and process in my own mind. And what it does to Thomas here is it, it robs him of an interaction with Jesus. Because he's off by himself, everyone else is together. And so it got me thinking, man, there's incredible value as we talk about doubt, as we talk about leaning into some of those things that cause us to question, there's incredible value in this thing called the body of Christ. 
As you look around this room, as some of you guys are involved in small groups and, and, and discipleship groups, there's something beautiful about being able to come to a brother or sister in Christ and go, man, I am struggling with this. Can we talk about it? And they provide a different perspective or they challenge your thinking or they say, hey, why don't you look at this passage or that passage? Or man, I went through that years ago. Here's, what I, here's how I came out on the other side. That's the body of Christ growing and functioning together. If we live in a land of isolation or if Satan has it all won and got us to think, there are questions that you don't dare ask inside of the church, then the church has not done you a service. There's no question God fears that you could ask as long as you're willing to do the work to seek the answer. So get invested in the body of Christ. I had the awesome opportunity as a young man. I was at a Bible college over at ACU. Uh, and I took a class with a man that just blew us away as young college students with his knowledge of the word. It didn't matter what you asked. He would have an answer for everything. I was like, oh, this is unbelievable. I want to be like that someday. A couple years later, I went to Phoenix Seminary. And the first day of Phoenix Seminary, they say, hey, you got to pick a mentor. Pick a mentor. This teacher happened to be teaching there. And so I said, oh, I'm gonna take a shot. Maybe I'll see. Maybe this guy is charitable or feels bad for me. And so I put his name down. I said, I'd like this guy to be my mentor. Maybe he'll reject me. I won't take it personal. I mean, I would, but maybe I wouldn't tell him that. And so I said, all right, here it is. A couple of days later, I get a call from Dr. Shea. He says, hey, you signed up for me to be your mentor. I would love the opportunity. And for the next couple of years, every month, we would get together and Dr. Shea would sit me down and he would push me on my theological understanding of God's word. And he would make sure I could answer some of the questions that were being thrown at me all the time. Questions like, why do you or don't you believe in Jesus? Why do you or don't you believe in the word of God? Let's lean into some of these things that the world is throwing at you and not shy away from them, but have an answer. It was incredible for my soul. And he was a master at being able to articulate deep theological truths in a way that got you to think and wrestle with. And man, for me, it was, it was exactly what I needed. I got a good friend now, Kyle DeRoberts. He's on staff with us here. Challenges me in the same way. I got an awesome wife who I, I tend to not nerd out theologically with because I love her too much to do that. But man, there are times where I will come upset about something and she would just put her hand on my shoulder and go, have you thought about it this way? Do you see the person's heart this way? And all of a sudden brings me back to center. That's the body of Christ being the body of Christ. And so as you walk in here or you are online or one of our campuses and you go, man, I've got doubts. Great. Look around the room. There are brothers and sisters here that would love to put their arm around you and journey with you as long as you're willing to lean in and do the work. It's the body of Christ. That's what, that's what Thomas missed out on on the front end. And yet great opportunity comes on the heels of that. So the other disciples, they told him, look, we've seen Jesus. And he goes, yeah, okay. Well, unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails, and I put my hand in his side, here's our statement, I will never believe. If you're out there and you say, yeah, I don't believe any of this, what is your I will never believe? What is it you're hung up on? What is it the thing that you would say, unless this happens, I will never believe? Let's call it, let's own it, and let's lean into it. See what God does with that. Eight days my man Thomas is stuck in this state of limbo for eight days. We read it. It's a period in the next verse. Eight days this guy sits in this state, not knowing what's going on. And the disciples again, Thomas was with them. They're holed up in a room. Why? Because they're afraid. So here they are. They're locked up in the room. Jesus comes and stands amongst them. And he says the same thing he said last week, peace be with you. Some of that because he wants to bring peace. Some of that because these guys are in a locked room, afraid of the Jews. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Their first reaction is, what's going on? Hey, calm down. It's just me. Deep breath. 
Peace be with you. So he looks at Thomas. Says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Come put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answers him, my Lord and my God. Absolute conviction. It doesn't say Thomas went over and investigated. It says the moment he saw Jesus, my Lord and my God, unwavering faith. But how about Jesus? Does he show up amongst all the other guys in the room and go, hey, where's that doubter? Where's Thomas? You doubter, I'm so disappointed in you. No, he shows up and he meets Thomas right where he's at. Same way he wants to meet us right where we're at. As long as we're willing to own it. Because as you wade into your doubt and you come out on the other side, you will come out on the other side with an unwavering conviction and faith that will help you take on a lot that this world has to offer. But if we don't ever lean into it and we don't ever own it, and we just live in this land of uncertainty, I think that's a dangerous place to live. And I think God can meet us in that spot if we're willing to do it. So real quickly, and I'm, I'm praying hard against this feeling like a seminary class for many of you. We're gonna look at the top five reasons why I would answer that question. Here's why I believe in Jesus Christ. Here's why I believe in Jesus. I got a list of about 50. We don't have time. We're gonna look at five. Here's the first one. First thing is this, is Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. This is from John 8, 58. If you know the story of Exodus. So Moses is, is on the scene and, and God says, go get my people, tell Israel that, that I'm, I'm sending you. And Moses goes, well, who, what's your name? Like, I'm just gonna show up and say, God sent me. Like, what am I supposed to call you? And God says, my name is I am. You tell him I am sent you. Name of God all throughout Israel's history. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am, and immediately they pick up rocks and they get ready to stone him because they knew exactly what he was doing. He was claiming to be God. Here's a guy who shows up, claims to be God. The gut's on him. Here we go, next one. Uh, John 5, 16 through 18. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Not just this, but many reasons. Because he was doing things on the Sabbath. He had just healed the guy on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There's other occasions where, God, where Jesus would say, yeah, I'm God. He's making claims about himself, calling himself God. Now, to my friend in the back of the room that goes, that ain't enough for me, peel back the sky, I would say this. Plenty of people throughout history have claimed to be God. Plenty. A lot of them, all of them, Buried in the ground somewhere. Take you to their graves if you want to see them. Not so with Jesus. He claimed to be God, but he's got to back that up. You can't just claim to be God without doing something. So then we go to our second thing. He's doing things that only a God could do. Here's our first one. He's omniscient. Luke 6, 8. But when he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here, and he rose and stood there. He knew their thoughts. He knows the thoughts. This is just one of many occasions where he knows the thoughts of mankind. I should have said this on the front end. I see my man up front taking furious notes. If you QR code, the little QR code things we've got, all of this stuff will be there along with a bunch of other things. So all you type A'ers that are frantically writing stuff down, just take a deep breath and just be present for a little bit, okay? It's all there. You can get all of this there. Um, because this is important. I do think we need to know why we, why we land on some of this stuff. He's omniscient. 
Then we get he's omnipotent. He, he operates in a way that only God could. This is the story where he calms the storm. And they, the disciples, they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who is this guy? Even the wind and the sea obey him. You remember these fishermen scared to death in the boat? And Jesus stands up and goes, be still. <laughs> wind and waves, stop. We can't do that. Even with all our technology, we still can't do anything close to that. Only God can do that. So we claim to be God. He knows thoughts. He's all-knowing. That's interesting. He's, he's manipulating nature in a way that shows that he's all-powerful. That's interesting. You claim it, you back it up. Hebrews 4.15 talks about Jesus being sinless, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. That's for another sermon, but that's incredibly encouraging but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet he's without sin. So you claim to be God. You know people's thoughts and do things only God can do. You have control over nature in a way that only God can, and you're perfect and sinless. I'm intrigued. You didn't just claim it. You backed it up. Then we go to this thing called prophecy, to prophecy, and we don't have time to go through all of these. But again, they're online. You can pull them up. Go on that, that QR code thing. The prophecy is fulfilled. Thousands of years before, the Jews would write down, the, the prophets would write down, here's who the Messiah is going to be. And then this guy who claimed to be God, did things only God could do, is fulfilling those prophecies? That's unbelievable. And my man in the back of the room stands up and goes, yeah, but anybody could fulfill prophecies. Jesus knew his scriptures. I keep going into like a New York accent. This guy wasn't from New York. I'm sorry. Okay? But this guy, hey, he, you know, he could have fulfilled them himself. You're right. He could have. He knew his scriptures. He could have looked and said, okay, I need to turn some water into wine here. I need to do this, this to keep this charade going. How about just on his birth and his death, though? You mean to tell me, in utero, born of a virgin, first off, little infant baby Jesus in the womb is, is riding on his mother's stomach, go to Bethlehem. We gotta start there. <laughs> no. Go to the manger. Don't go to the nice place. Stick me in, a, in, a, in an inn. Hey, Somehow, get the word out. There's no email, but get the word out to the wise men to show up because they got to bring gifts in order to start this whole charade going. No, just around his birth, you see all of a sudden prophecy getting lined up in Jesus Christ. And you go, man, that's very interesting. Line of David, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, all of this stuff. And then we get to, in one day, the prophecy is fulfilled. In these days, marked by his death, you can think about some of this stuff. Oh, one, because my man in the back was always like, oh, okay, yeah, what about, those are all good things. How about the death of thousands of children at the hands of Herod in order to validate the prophecy fulfilled around Jesus' birth? You mean to tell me in utero Jesus got word to, he, to Herod to murder a bunch of kids? It ain't all pretty, some of the prophecies that were fulfilled around his birth. And yet it happened. And then we get around his death. Betrayed by his friends. Maybe he could have orchestrated that. 30 pieces of silver. Maybe I'll give you that if you want to. But it's interesting. It lines up. Thrown into God's house. Price given for the potter's field. Forsaken by his disciples. Hey, guys, one last thing. What time I need you the most? Can you guys all scatter? It would really help me out. No. This is just happening. Accused by false witnesses. He was silent before his betrayers, wounded and bruised, but never had a bone broken. You know, they killed people when they were crucified. It was getting too close to the Sabbath. They'd break their legs so they couldn't push themselves up to breathe anymore. 
So the soldier shows up, going to break Jesus' legs. And they go, no, no, he's already dead. That's when they jab him with the spear, just to check. Not a bone broken, prophecy fulfilled. You mean to tell me Christ, hanging on the cross, looks out at these Roman soldiers and goes, hey, guys, I'm so close to the end. We're almost there. Don't break any bones. That would really screw things up for me. No. God is at work. He claimed to be God. He did things only God can do. And all of a sudden, he's fulfilling prophecies. And go look at this. Do some research on your own. Look at some of these things. So you, you claim to be God. You do things only God could do. You're fulfilling prophecies. Man, you start to stack these up. I'm very intrigued about this Jesus character. And then he does miracles. And there's a list of them on there. We'll just look at a few of them. He walks on water. That's God-like. Nobody doing that today. He calms the storm. We talked about that one already. He heals the blind guy. He healed a lot of blind guys, but one blind guy in particular was the guy that stood outside the city gates and the city would come in every day and this guy would be out there begging year after year, day after day for money. And the same people would walk by. Hey, Bill, good to see you. I'm probably not, hey. I see you, you don't see me, but here you go. He gives him a nickel, right? Here you go, gives him some money, and then off he goes. Same day, Bill, every single day, sees Bill. And then all of a sudden, Bill shows up 40 plus years later after being blind forever, and he's healed. And everyone's going, have you seen Bill? He can see. And everybody knows about it. These aren't just miracles he's performing in some dark corner of the universe where no one else sees, just these disciples that get together to orchestrate this plot. These are public He's feeding 5,000 people out of whack with bread and fish. Very much on display. You claim to be God. You do things only God can do. You fulfill prophecy and you're performing miracles that we still can't even come close to, to demonstrating today. And then the one we looked at earlier, John 11, where he raises Lazarus from the dead. This is the one that ends to his, in his demise, right? The Jews go, we can't stop this. If he's gonna keep doing stuff like this, there'll be no stopping this guy. So we claim to be God, God-like character, character traits, fulfilled prophecy, did miraculous things, so many more, we don't even have time to look at them. And it starts to stack up and I start to go, here's why I believe in Jesus, but I'll give you the greatest one, at least for me. And maybe it's the same for you and it's the last one, it's this. Jesus Christ has changed my life in a powerful way that I cannot attribute to good parenting or bad parenting or an awesome wife or good kids. Like I can't attribute any of it other than, other than the fact that Jesus Christ has grabbed my life and my heart. I've told you guys before, I'm on the verge of, of dry heaving over here. I don't wanna be up here. I wanna loop that new worship song over and over and over again until the service time is over. And I, mean, I don't wanna be here. I wanna be up there in the back corner, sneak in, sneak out. I don't want the attention. Never have. I am here only because of the work God has done in my life. If God uses me at all, man, it ain't me. This is God. Some of you, you wonder when you come up and you go, oh, man, you know, we hear you talk about Horizon High School. My kids went to high school with you. When my face drops, it's not because I don't love your kids. It's because I know who I was in high school, and I'm embarrassed and afraid that you know who I was in high school. <laughs> I wasn't the best person. I wasn't the greatest lover of people. I wasn't very kind. I was very angry. I made a lot of bad choices. Until I was 18 years old, I was driving a range picker right over here at Gandy Ranch Golf Course because I was working out there. I'm picking up golf balls while you guys are hooding four irons trying to hit me driving around out there. <laughs> and I am just sobbing, crying out to God. 
And in that moment, I remember saying and yelling out to God, I said, God, I will never love anything more than I love you because I'd put a lot of things far ahead of God in my life. And God took them all away. He took them all away. And in a moment where I really felt like I had nothing and it was a dark, scary place for me, I just remember crying out to God. And God met me in that moment and put me on a trajectory in life that I, I would not be here today. I, I don't believe I would be here today had he not grabbed my heart in my life. Jesus did that. Christ did that in me. And I don't know what your story is, but if you know Jesus, you got a story. You got a story. So let's go back to our question. Why do you or don't you believe in Jesus? Do you have an answer? Do you know why? Because here's the truth to my man in the back of the room that wants God to peel open the sky and shove his face through. For whatever reason, God's chosen not to do that. He hasn't. You know what he has chosen? He's chosen to unleash his children, his sons and his daughters, out into a world and to put God on display in how we live, how we relate, and how we love everyone around us. And what we do with the story of Jesus Christ in our own life, we are God peeling back the sky. In a very real sense, your life on display is the greatest testament to who Christ is. Are you bragging on Jesus? As you go out into the world, here's the thing. My man in the back corner, he will never darken the doors of a church, at least not in the state he was in when I last left him. But you know what? I had a chance to go to him each and every week. You guys have friends. You have family. You have people in your world that you know are probably not going to show up here to worship on a Sunday morning. But God's got you in their world. Might you be the one to peel back the sky and stick your face through there and say, let me put Jesus on display. Let me show you the difference Christ has made in my life. Let me give you the answer for why I believe in Jesus. That's how God's chosen to operate. Are you willing to take that step and to do that? Now, last thing. Almost, rare, well, I will say this. Rarely when I've interacted with people, and said, why don't you believe in Jesus? Tell me why you don't believe in Jesus. I'll be honest with you. Nine times out of 10, it has nothing to do with their misunderstanding of the word of God. I mean, it does in a sense. They, just don't, they don't even know enough to not know. You know what the number one reason typically is? People have been wounded, hurt by the church and by people in the church that associate themselves with Christianity. If you are here today, and the church has ever hurt you in any way, first off, hear me say this. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry for the impact that that has had on your life. I will tell you this, and if this one cost me my job, that's all right, because I think I could back it up biblically. Until Christ returns, until Jesus comes back, every church you're a part of is run by sinful human beings. Can we understand that? There is no perfect church. As great as we all try, we're all sinners in need of a savior at the end of the day. And so if you've been hurt by the church, all, all I wanna say to you is this. Please, please, don't let the sins of another human being, a broken, wounded person that needs Christ just like you and I do, don't let the sins of somebody else rob you from experiencing all that there is in Christ. I know that's a, that's a big ask, and I'm asking you to extend forgiveness and grace that you may not have with inside of you, but might this be an opportunity to say, God, I can't do this on my own, and give that to him and see if he shows up. But please don't let 
our mistakes. Don't let my mistakes be the reason that you don't at least wrestle and lean in to the hope of Jesus Christ. Because I, I just don't want to double down on the sins of another to prevent you from knowing all that there is in Christ because there is, a, there is beauty in the gospel. And when you lean into your doubt and you come out on the other side, there is unwavering conviction and faith that, I mean, all of these disciples that see Jesus, you know, all but one are martyred for their faith. One's just banished to an island of Patmos. They would go to their, their, their grave fighting for Jesus because they were unwavering in their conviction to him. Are we there? Why do you? Or why don't you believe in Jesus? Let's meet each other in that place. Let's have conversations around that. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for uh, the way in which you've grabbed my life. And God, you know there are so many areas where we can still grow and we are working and fighting for that all the time. But God, I thank you that your grace is good. You meet me in that spot. God, I pray for any and all, both here, online, God, that maybe are still wrestling with some of their own doubts and concerns and questions and things they just, they can't get over. God, give them the courage to lean in, to ask those questions. God, if not to a brother or sister here or to one of the pastors on staff, God, at least give them the courage to ask it to you and meet them in that place. God, meet them right where they're at. And God, I pray that you would continue to light a fire in, in me as your son and so many of your, your sons and daughters here at this church. God, to go out and to brag on your son Jesus any chance we get. God, that we would put you on display to anyone you put in our path. So God, give us the courage, give us the conviction to do that. God, we will thank you for what you're gonna do through us and just count it a blessing to get to serve you in any way that we can. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen.